good morning. Let's turn to Mark chapter 4 again. We're looking at four little verses that the Lord Jesus gives us in the middle of this important chapter. Last week we we began this uh, two-part study, laying a a foundation for evangelism. Uh, These verses beginning at verse 26, Jesus was saying, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night and gets up by day and the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Lord, grant us eyes to to see, ears to hear, hearts to believe, and to trust. (coughs) We thank you that you have uh, given us this wisdom to help guide us as we share the gospel with others and to give us insights into who you are and your heart to save. And we thank you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. As we saw last week, within this, within this little parable, there's, there's four elements. There's the man who sows, there's the seed he sows, there's the soil he sows on, and then there is the harvest. We talked about the man who sows. That's every Christian. Every Christian is called to be an evangelist. It's one of those standing orders like the military has. Um, we also saw that the seed is the gospel of Jesus Christ, which uh, can, be, can be summarized as who Jesus is, what Jesus did, which includes why he did it, and how we benefit from the work we've got to remember that the gospel is not a message about how to be happy it's not a message about how to be content or live a fulfilling life the gospel is how uh, Jesus Christ gave his life to glorify himself and to glorify God the Father by redeeming those that the Father gave to him so we're going to continue this morning with uh, the soil and then with the harvest Uh, Very clearly within this passage, within this chapter, the soil represents an unsaved person, represents those who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Mark, or Jesus rather, uh, opens up this this chapter by teaching about soils, and he gives what's called the parable of the sower in the first part of the chapter. In verse 3, he says, listen to this, the sower Uh, went out to sow as he was sowing some seed fell beside the road and the birds came in and ate it up and he is speaking here of the impenetrable person he gives the explanation in verse 15 these are the ones who are beside the road when the word is sown and when they hear immediately satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them they're so hard they're so packed down that the gospel makes zero impact in their lives there's none whatsoever Uh, Satan is able to to take the gospel away from them as easy as birds swoop down on on an intersection on a farm road and pick up grain. 
The second group are the impassioned in verses 5 and 6. He says, other ground fell on the rocky, other seeds, I'm sorry, fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. And then he explains in verses 16 and 17, these are people who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. But when hardship arises, the uh, the, the word abandons them they fall away because they have no depth this is the impassioned person i've met a lot of these i met a lot of people who hear the gospel and and they explode with joy and then they fall away and somebody else hears the gospel and they respond with gladness and with joy but but within a few weeks sometimes it's like nothing ever happened and and how can that be well, I think the issue, I think the issue, I, I, I can't tell you this with divine certainty, but I think the issue is that the joy they had was joy for the sake of its own, joy for its own sake. They heard a message that made them happy. And so they embraced that message as long as it made them happy. Jesus was really the means to an end for them. And as soon as it becomes difficult, as soon as it's challenged, or frankly, as soon as there's a better offer, they're off. The third group are the insincere. In, in uh, verse 7, Jesus says, Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. The explanation is in verses 18 and 19. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So these are not just people who hear the word word of God, hear the gospel, but all of the weight, all of the concerns, all of the worries of life make it impossible for them to believe. There are worries and concerns for them, but there's also the deceptiveness of wealth. And frankly, there's the desires for other things. We, we know a, a woman who just left the, the rescue mission Friday night. We saw her Saturday, or th- Thursday night at the banquet. By the way, the rescue mission results from the banquet. They raised over $50,000 at the banquet, so we praise God for that. We saw her that night. Everything seemed to be absolutely fine. But she called on, on Friday absolutely filled with rage and profanity and filthiness. And I let her go for about 15 or 20 minutes, and finally she kind of was done, but she was screaming profanity at the world. And then I got a call, and, and they asked if I would come down and just be part of a meeting with her. And I went down, and, and, and what she was complaining about and all the things that angered her were really incoherent. I kept stopping and saying, I, I know it must be clear to you, but I've got no idea what the problem is. And then she just, upped and, she just up and left. See, she wants Jesus for other things. She wants Jesus to make up for the fact that her dad abandoned her. She wants Jesus to make up for the fact that other people don't like her, she thinks. But she doesn't want Jesus for his sake. She wants him as long as there can be some kind of cooperation between him and her idols. Now, before we look at the fourth side, I just want to point out with the impenetrable, the impassioned, and the insincere, the impenetrable person is completely untouched by the gospel. The impassioned person is only temporarily touched by the gospel. But the insincere person might be religious their entire life. 
There's a plant called darnel. I don't know if you have it in Nebraska, but it's, it, it exists in the Levant, in the area of the Mediterranean where Jesus lived and had his ministry. It looks so much like wheat that you can't tell it apart until harvest. And the only way you can tell it apart is at the harvest, there's no grain on it. There's one particular type of, of darnel that nobody can tell apart unless you're today perhaps a, a, an expert in plants. Jesus used that when he said uh, uh, the kingdom of God is like a man who planted wheat and the enemy came and sowed tares and so, darnel and, the, and his servants came and said, you planted wheat, somebody sown darnel, do you want us to tear them up? And Jesus says, no, you can't tell the difference. But they're not saved. They might be outwardly moral, but they're not saved. And so because of this, we we must not assume that because someone is religious that they're right with God. If they're merely moral, if they're merely religious, and they don't have true devotion to Jesus... We should be concerned with them. That's Remember Hebrews 4.1. Let us fear if perhaps any one of you seems to have fallen short. Eternity is on the line. Love will put someone's eternal destiny over their temporary feelings. And we might be concerned that if we speak up to that person and say, I'm concerned because I see religion in you and I see morality in you, but I see no devotion to Jesus in you. We're, we, we would be concerned. They'll become offended. I guarantee on the day of judgment, they won't be offended. I guarantee if you speak to someone and they do know the Lord, they are saved on the day of judgment, they will not be offended with you. Even though they might be today. The fourth group is the, the implanted group, the implanted soil. Jesus says in verse 8, Other seeds fell into the good soil, and they grew up and increased. They yielded a crop and produced 30, 60, and 100-fold. Now, I know that corn is different. I know that other plants are, are different. But what I've read is in the ancient world, when it came to the crops that they grew, a good crop was a six-fold crop. Tenfold was unheard of. So Jesus says they yield a crop that is beyond anything you've ever, you've ever imagined. And he gives the explanation in verse 20. These are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the good soil, and they hear the word and accept it, and they bear fruit, 30, 60, and 100-fold. They're good soil. They hear the gospel, and by the power of the Spirit of God, it is, it is implanted within them, and it grows They repent of their sins. They repent of their dead works. The power of Christ gives them hope. They know that they are forgiven. They know that they are clean. They know that they are at peace with God. They know that they have been born again. They know that the old things have passed away and all things have become new. They love the Lord. They love his people. They look for his return. See, they become a different kind of person. They're not the same person with a different name tag. They're a new person. They're not like that first person. Satan can't steal the gospel from them because he has no access to their hearts and souls. They're not like the second person. The pain of their life can't wither the gospel because it is deep within them. It is implanted. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians, they may be afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down, but they are not crushed. They are not filled with despair. They are not forsaken. They are not destroyed. And they're not like the third group. 
idols can't displace Jesus because those idols are so clearly dead and powerless, and Jesus is life to them. And nothing can shake that. So, back to the little parable, we've got the soil. What's our job here? What's our role within the parable? Our, our role within the parable is to share the gospel. It's to plant the seed. That's it. It, it doesn't get any more complicated than that. Now, I have a master's degree in ministry. A, a pastor named Steve Lawson, whose ministry I follow, has multiple doctorates. And my granddaughter Lucy is still in first grade. And the answer for the message is the same for all of us. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you remember what happened in Acts chapter 4 when Peter and John had gone to the temple? The man was healed. They were preaching the gospel. They were arrested. They were released and told, don't preach anymore. They went right back to preaching in the temple. They were rearrested. And it says in the middle of chapter 4 of Acts that the leaders were amazed because they recognized that these men were untaught and uneducated. The effect of the gospel, the impact of the gospel in Jerusalem had nothing to do with the fact that they were educated, that they were eloquent, that they were really smart or that they were experts. It was the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our job is to share the gospel. All the rest, (coughs) excuse me, all the rest depends on the work of God. The Father who elects those whom he would save, the Son who died to obtain their salvation, and the Spirit who applies it to their lives. One of the the hard things of evangelism, one of the difficulties of evangelism, is the, the lack of response. I hear about people, and maybe you've heard about people too. I was standing in line at Hy-Vee the other day, and I looked at this person, and this, this woman was holding a, a can of peas, and I said... I see you're buying peas. Do you know the Prince of Peace? And I witnessed to her, and she accepted Christ. I took her back to the vegetable section, and I baptized her. And so, you know. There are people who, who just, they, they could get up and sneeze, and three people would repent. I'm not like that. Maybe you're not like that either. And the lack of response, when you do share, it seems like it, it just doesn't go anywhere. And that troubles you. What we have to remember is that the, the, the success of the gospel is not based on us getting the telling of it exactly right. It's not based on the right words, the right approach. It's not that we're failing to make it sound really attractive. It's not that we're not selling it. We've got to really sell it. God has to do the work. It's a spiritual work. It's fascinating to me that in this parable... Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. Even in the parable, he's not planting the seed into the soil. It's fascinating to me that you farmers have got this massive equipment, very complicated equipment that goes through and it digs a little furrow and it drops the seed and then it covers the furrow. Why do you do that? Because you don't want birds to steal it. Because you want it to get down to the proper depth. I rode with with my son-in-law earlier this year, and I didn't know this. You know this, but, you know, this is not my business. So I found out that not only does it drop the the corn in there, it drops in fertilizer. Wow. 
I, I can't plant the word of God in your heart. I can only scatter it to your ears and to your eyes. That's all I can do. I can only get to the surface. See, we are really powerless when it comes to evangelism. Our job is really simple. Give the gospel to those who need to hear it. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples and to us. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. If you're sharing the gospel in truth and simplicity and completeness, the person who rejects the gospel you share isn't rejecting you. They're rejecting Christ. The gospel is kind of a litmus test for who belongs to the Lord and and who doesn't. Those who do not belong to him will never keep his word. Those who do belong to him will, in his time, hear and believe and be saved. Well, let's talk about the the harvest for for a moment. It's it's wonderful when somebody hears the gospel, they take it in, they think about it, you can see the process of growth, you get involved in more conversations, and and they, they begin talking about the need for repentance and their need for forgiveness. Uh, I've had the opportunity in 25 years of pastoral ministry half a dozen times to share the gospel with somebody and have them come to faith right there in front of me. Have them believe. It's just not a common experience for me. I don't think it's a common experience for, for many. Some people can point to a day and a time when they trusted Christ with others. They, they don't know. It's a more gradual process. Don't let anybody ever tell you, if you can't point to a day and a time, you're not saved. I'm here. I know that I was born, but oddly enough, I have no memory of it. That was 57 years ago. She probably remembers, but I don't remember. You just may not remember. When can we accept the, expect the harvest to happen in somebody's life? I'll give you the answer. You, you can't know. You can't know. As Jesus says in the parable, the man goes to bed at night, gets up by day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and how he doesn't know. I I know that agrarian scientists today know the process of growth, but back then, they put a seed in, and, and I don't know, three weeks later, four weeks later, depending on the crop, you got that little thing of green. They got no idea what's taking place. They have no idea at all. This week I read an article by Jordan Standridge. He's a pastor in uh, Virginia. And he'd taken a short-term evangelism trip to uh, Eastern Europe, former communist country. He didn't name the country. And he says, and went to a little village that was pretty remote. He says, as I entered the first house and sat in the chair to begin, we were told by the father and daughter that they had never spoken to anyone about the gospel before. The daughter was in her 70s and the father was 99. 99 years old and never heard the gospel. As we talked, it seems as if the scales were falling from his eyes as the realization of his own sin filled his eyes with tears. It was like talking to the thief on the cross. He simply asked God to forgive him of his sin and give him a new heart. 
He went into a, a place that was remote and spoke to somebody who had the barest knowledge of, of who Jesus or religion even was, shared the gospel, and that man put his faith in Christ. It, it, and that's because the Holy Spirit had been working in this man for a long time. On the other hand, it can take years of conversation. One of my professors in seminary who taught evangelism is a man named Gary McIntosh. Gary had done some research. He learned that the average Christian at that time, this is in the early 90s, had had 10 gospel conversations before trusting Christ. Not spiritual conversations, not heart conversations, gospel conversations before trusting Christ, 10 of them. They were usually not with the same evangelist. They heard the same message from different people. And it didn't happen in a week or two. Sometimes it was years. You see, by the providence of God, the gestation time for the gospel differs for every person. And we simply don't know when it will come to fruition. As we think about bringing this home, let's be reminded that as we live in faith and submission to the Lord, we trust that he's going to save the lost according to his will. We have to trust that he will bring people across our path who need to hear the gospel. Our job then is to be prepared to know the gospel, to know the gospel, to know who Jesus is, Colossians 1.15, to know what Jesus did and why, 1 Corinthians 15.1-4 will tell you. To know how we benefit from that. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. See, right there, I've just got the, the references. I don't know that I could, I could quote Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 pretty well. I don't know that I could quote the rest word for word. But, see, I, I've got my Bible there. As I said last week, don't think that this man in the parable grabs a big handful of seed, walks out to his field, scatters it, goes back to his barn, gets a handful of seed, and walks out. No, he's got a seed bag. We have a seed bag. And so you, you write down in the, the front of your Bible, Romans 3.23, and you can just make a little note, all have sinned. So when you're talking to that person, when you're talking to Danny, and Danny says, but I'm not a bad person, you can go, hang on. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's good if you have it memorized. But you don't have to. You don't have to. We've got to be people of prayer. We've got to pray for the lost. We've got to pray that we would be ready and that we would be prepared. We've got to pray that the Spirit would guide others to affirm the message that we give to those that we speak to. We've got to pray for opportunities to share Christ. We've got to pray for the courage to share the whole gospel. Not just that Jesus offers you eternal life, but that without faith in Christ, you face eternal condemnation. The whole gospel includes the reality of judgment. And then finally, we've got to trust that the Lord's intention to save his people is absolute. He will not fail. He will not fail. I came to Christ at the age of 17 and I had heard the gospel presented no more than half a dozen times over, over 
six or eight years. And most of those times had been really badly presented. Really badly presented. Nothing, nothing like a full presentation. And often with kind of finger pointing and blame. If you were a good person, you would already believe this. And yet the Lord used all of that truth to transform my life. And so as you go with a tender heart, trusting in him, knowing that you need to talk about who Jesus is because it's about his glory. You need to talk about what Jesus did. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was raised in order to give us his righteousness. And he did that because we are born spiritually dead and facing judgment. And that we benefit from that. We receive that as a gift of the grace of God through the faith that God himself gives us. Right there in 28 seconds, I gave you the gospel. And to trust that as we do that and it falls on good soil, it will bear fruit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of the gospel. It has transformed our lives, and yet we <coughs> we don't often share it with others. We often assume that somebody else is okay uh, be, because they go to church. We assume that they're okay because we love them. And we can't stand the idea that somebody that we love who is a nice person would not know you. And so remind us, Lord, that while our job is not to be critical and judgmental of other people, it's to be wise and caring and to not assume that anybody is okay if they have not responded and are not actively trusting in you. Give us ears to hear as we come to your word and we continue to learn. Help us, Lord, as as we prepare. Give us wisdom on how to do that. Bring us divine appointments with those in whom you have already been working. Some of the sweetest moments of my Christian life, Lord, have, have been standing with or sitting with someone else as they repent of their sins and they believe the gospel. It's an incredible experience. It just seems to happen all too too few times. And Lord, let us be a part of this good work. Guide us by your spirit. Fill us with your word. Give us great joy in seeing the name of Jesus lifted high and exalted. And in your name we pray, amen.